Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. So if you haven't been here for the last several weeks, we, we ended a few weeks ago kind of a series looking at our eternal hope. And then you guys started asking questions. And so we said, all right, we're going to take a night and try to answer some of your questions. So tonight is Q&R night, not question and answer night, but question and response, because I can't promise you any answers, but I will respond as well as we can. And, and so we tried to, if you, if you weren't here, here's what we tried to do for a few weeks, is break down some misconceptions and point to a greater hope. Because what the Bible teaches is that we'll live in a perfected world and we'll live there as perfected selves, like in, in a way that we can't fathom. Our heart, soul, mind, and strength will be perfect and, and the way that God designed it. We'll have reconciled relationships, and, and again, a way that we can't fathom, but, but our relationship with God and with ourselves even and toward others and all creation will be perfect, non-broken. We'll exist in God's presence, cultivating the world like Adam and Eve did in Eden. And as we saw those elements, I, I hope a couple things happened. One, we saw why the New Testament looks at our eternal hope and our future and this kind of stuff to be a huge motivation for hope today. Because if, if you miss this, as bad as it can seem here at times, a truly biblical vision of the kingdom of God there new heavens and new earth, not there, it's, it's going to be here, new heavens, new earth, but then in the future, that, that truly biblical vision of a new kingdom of God coming here to earth help ins, helps inspire that kingdom-led pursuit of God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven now. Like we look at, get to give glimpses in this broken and hurting world of something better that's coming. And then another thing that happened is there are questions that came up that we didn't address. And, and that was kind of by design. We tried to stay out of some of the weeds and the details and, and tried instead to focus on kind of themes and, and big picture biblical visions. But there's a lot of mystery and a lot of confusion surrounding eternity. And it's not a bad thing to kind of be curious about it. In fact, God invites through, through the scriptures, invites us to be curious with him a lot and to, to step into some of the mystery. And so we didn't want to avoid it. We just wanted to keep it kind of focused on the big picture. But since you had questions, it's fair to take a day to address some of those questions. So this is a little bit different than normal. This all started, if you remember, with junior high kids asking questions about eternity. But I saw some of the handwriting in that box and some of the try to stump the speaker questions were not in junior high kid handwriting, so nice try. Um, we're going to try to address them as, as well as possible. And like I said, this is not Q&A, but question and response. I'm going to try to respond to all the questions as well as the Bible allows us, but I can't promise a sufficient answer. So is that fair? I feel a little bit different tonight, and I'm going to read a lot more than normal because, man, this took a lot of prep, just so you know. <laughs> but as I try to respond to your questions, I have two questions for you to keep in the back of your mind. And we'll come back to them and have some conversation around them as much as time will allow. But here's the two questions that we'll come back to. Pay attention. Write them down if you need to. There's big pieces of paper on your tables. One, how do some of these details lead to a greater view of God? How do some of the details that we'll get into as much as we can lead to a greater view of God? And then how does this view of eternity, these, these added responses, how does it stir your heart to hope? 
How does it stir your heart to hope? Because again, that's, that's our theme, is that the more we discover about God, the more we discover about eternity, the more hope we should have here. Not should in a like shaming way, just it, it should birth this thing in us. So how does it stir your heart to hope? Because our goal tonight is not just to study or to dive in deep or to know facts or that kind of stuff, but rather in, in both the mystery and the detail, our goal, as it always is, is worship and awe and hope. So is that fair? All right, so let's dive in. The first realm of questions were about animals. So do dogs and pets go to heaven? Are there animals in heaven? If so, will we hunt and fish these animals? And will we eat animals in heaven? So these are the first realms of questions. Likely the most popular questions that folks ask about heaven. There's a great 1980s movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven. Hollywood's never wrong, so that's our answer. But in truth, God created animals. God called animals good. If you want to put the next slide up, we, we see, and I'm not going to read all of this, but, but God said, let the, the, let the waters swarm with living creatures. And then on the next day, this is Genesis 1, when God is creating and forming the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be creatures on land and creatures in the air and creatures in the water. And God called them all good. So, so Genesis 1 describes domestic and wild animals as part of God's original creation. Most of the New Testament imagery of eternity includes animals. And so you can see here in Isaiah, for example, leopard and lion, elsewhere fox and lamb and and oxes and wolves. So if, as we said before, coming out of Romans 8, we talked about this, if all creation is yearning for reconciliation, then as God recreates his perfect world, it will likely include domestic and wild animals. But the Bible also describes a world where the lion and the lamb will lie down together and and where death and destruction will be no more, right? These are things that that we've talked about. All the relationships, we said, in all of creation will be reconciled. And and so it's also likely that the, the relationship between people and animals will return to its original design. Part of Adam and Eve's work was just to display the image of God and in in cultivating God's creation. And so it seems likely that at least some animals, including pets, will be part of the new heavens and new earth. Now from there, there's a whole domino train that falls. Dinosaurs, what about the number of animals that have existed compared to the number of humans and population growth and all that kind of stuff? Lots of mystery. We're just going to leave it at there'll probably be animals in heaven. So if that's true, next question is, do we hunt fish eat them? There's two possible answers to this. You ready for them? Yes or no? (laughs) So go to the next slide for me, or if you're already there, yeah. On one hand, lots of the imagery about the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 seems to say that before sin entered the world, animals, like people, likely didn't die. And so it seems, you notice I'm saying seems and likely a whole lot, that's going to continue, just so you know. It seems like people and animals might have been originally designed to eat only plants. Genesis 1.29, God says to, to Adam and Eve, I've given you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. So it's easier to see how like the lion and lamb might be able to lie down together, as the, the, the verses from Isaiah that were on the screen mentioned. And Revelation 22 also talks about fruit. On either side of the river of life was a tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. That 
is a mind-blowing thing to dwell on a little bit, right? So one argument says if eternity was a lot like Eden, maybe we'll eat fruit and vegetables like Adam and Eve did. On the other hand, next slide, one of the very first things that Jesus did after his resurrection was to eat fish. So he told them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel's vision of eternity echoes that. Fishermen will stand by the sea from two places. It will be a place of spreading nets. Its fish will be very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. So, maybe. Randy Alcorn, whose, whose book Heaven is really helpful, says, maybe God will make a better-than-the-current meat substitute. I like that phrase. Maybe it will be like the, the lion and the wolf in Isaiah. God will change our appetites, and our eating habits will look different. Again, this is a little bit of where we step into the mystery and go, it, it seems like it could be either way in the Bible. But the bottom line, will we hunt fish, eat animals? Either yes or no. We just, we just don't know for sure. What we can know, though, is that we'll have real and physical bodies. We'll eat and drink real and physical food and drink. We also know, just to put you at ease, coffee and wine are both plant-based, so that, at least, will be probably in the category of, of good. And then Jesus talks about this marriage feast, and Revelation tells us there'll be plenty of food and drink in heaven. And based on all this, like heavenly cuisine is probably a true and better version of anything we can imagine here. And, and so again, as we, as we consider that, one of the ways that we get to give a glimpse of eternity and worship God here, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, he says that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And y'all, when we do that here, we're just giving a foretaste of what we'll be doing for all of eternity, which is, again, a kind of cool image to think about. So that's kind of the first bucket of questions. The second one, second theme is around authority. So will we own houses or property? And then great question, what is the political situation in heaven? That one looked like a junior high handwriting, pretty good question. I'll answer that one first. That one's easy. The politics in heaven, it's going to be a benevolent monarchy. Hard stop. That's it. Like there's lots of other questions mystery, uncertainty, but, but this one is 100% clear according to the scriptures. Benevolent, if you're here and unaware of that word, it means good. Monarchy means what? Kids, what's a monarchy? Anyone? It's a, a butterfly. That is true. Well played. Did y'all see how she just walked in, like missed all the context? She just goes, it's a butterfly. So we're going to be, heaven's going to be ruled by a good butterfly. Which is very untrue, just if anyone's listening to this later. So, monarchy means a king. We're going to have a good king. Among other verses, Revelation talks about a, a sealed scroll, which, which is a symbol of the inheritance of the earth. The, the image from Revelation 5 is kind of like a land deed, if we want to think about it like that. That's probably the best kind of correlation we have today. And, and here's John's words, John's words. I began to weep loudly because no one, no human was found worthy to open the scroll or to look at it. No, no human was worthy of receiving the deed to the new heavens and new earth. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, all sorts of imagery for Jesus there has conquered so that he can open the scroll 
and its seven seals. You guys, Jesus alone is worthy to inherit the earth and all that is in it. Jesus alone is the king who deserves an eternal throne. He's a good king. He's also our big brother. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. That's what politics are going to look like in heaven, a benevolent monarchy. And, and also, not but, but and, his people are going to be entrusted to steward different aspects of creation, just like Adam and Eve were. It'll be a monarchy, and Jesus is the only good and perfect king, but part of his kingship is to provide a perfect dwelling for his people. And so in Revelation 5, Jesus alone has the deed to the earth. The same idea as in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God, but the Bible also uses different terms to describe the space that God's going to create where we get to be with him. So just some of the words pulled from various scriptures, it's called a new earth, a, a country, a city, a place, temple, and rooms or quarters, living quarters. The overall picture is that, that it's going to be a perfectly designed dwelling, a, a true and better home with kind of all the spaces that you'd expect to find in, in our home, but, but just better than that. It will be like and better than Eden. So the whole place will be God's. I, I, I can't find a place that says we'll own specifically anything because it's God's, but we will dwell there with the space to be alone and space to be with others and space to explore and create and cultivate and worship, all in full relationship with our good God and King. Third bucket of questions. They're about what or who we will know. So questions like this, will we recall life on earth? Will we, will we know our friends and family? Will we meet Jesus' apostles? That's a good question. Will we automatically know everything? And again, I'll start with the last question first. So far as the Bible lets us see, it's unlikely that we'll ever know everything. There's this kind of common mindset out there that comes a little bit from Eastern religion that says once you kind of achieved perfection, you automatically know everything. And that's, that's not what the scriptures teach us. Only God is omniscient. Only God is all-knowing. That was never part of his design for people. In fact, some of him keeping Adam and Eve away from the tree was to, to retain some knowledge that, of, of, that only God should have retained. Paul tells the Corinthians, we'll likely know more than we do now. This light and momentary affliction, Paul says, is preparing us for a weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but y'all will we'll see and know things that are unseeable and unknowable. The things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. So there's a realm of things that we can't comprehend in this transient and temporary life. We'll know God more fully. We'll understand the spiritual dimension that we've talked about for the last month or so more, more, more specifically like we do our physical dimensions. But only God is all-knowing. That was true in eternity past. It'll likely be true in eternity future. But there's good news in that. 
If, if you're like me, then, then, then this sounds like really good news because for all of eternity, we're going to get to continue to learn and explore and grow with God and, and learn some of the depths. Romans 11 says, who can know the depths of the riches of the glories of God? And we'll get to spend all of eternity plumbing those depths, learning more about each other and all the relationships we'll have that we'll get to in just a sec. We won't know everything, but the Bible does seem to say we'll have an ever-growing ability to learn and grow. The Bible also seems to say we'll have a clear memory of life on earth, maybe even clearer than we do now, for some of us at least. So two of the most common images of eternity in the Bible are one, we'll give an account for our life on earth. We've heard verses like this. We'll stand before the, the judgment seat, we'll stand before the throne, we'll give an account of our life on earth, so we'll at least have some awareness there. And then another image that's very common to talk about is that there'll be war- rewards in eternal life based on this life. So, so Matthew 12 is an example that a, a good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his either evil treasure brings forth evil. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And there's good news, of course, there that Jesus stood in our place, and, and we're now justified by his blood. But we'll at least be able to recount and recall both the good, presumably, and according to these verses, the not-so-great things we did and words we said. Our actions and words here matter. Again, I want to bring us from kind of eternal details into present hope. Stuff here matters. Like, your life matters. Your relationships matter. And, and I hope that that doesn't like sound threatening as much as it does give purpose to some of the things we do, some of the things we say. This matters. It matters for the people that you know and the things you do now. It matters in light of eternity as well. There'll be a continuity of memory, at least enough to look back and give an account. We'll likely get to praise God for the extent of his forgiveness and his redemption as we do remember all the things we wish we wouldn't have said, wish we wouldn't have done, and we'll get to give God all the more glory for redeeming our brokenness and sin. So yes, we'll remember life on earth. And that informs the question of family and friends. If we'll remember life on earth, then yeah, it seems really likely that friendships get to continue into eternity. It's impossible to think that every individual will relate at the exact same percentage to every other individual and that you'll relate exactly the same way. Like God didn't make robots. He made relationships and he made personalities and he made all these good things. And that was true before sin entered the world, when God said it was not good for man to be alone. And so we'll get all of eternity to make new friends, including Jesus' apostles. And also, it seems likely that we'll get to keep the old. We'll at least recognize friends from earth and even continue to build some of those friendships. And that begs naturally the question, well, what about marriage and family? Lots of mystery here, lots of confusion, lots of musing around this. And on one hand, everyone is one big spiritual family for all of eternity. God is our one perfect father. We are all sisters and brothers under him. And the legal institution of marriage, legal in whatever cultural context, historical context that means, that's foreshadowed 
the unity that all of God's people will have with Christ for all of eternity. So Ephesians 1 talks about a man, this is quoting Genesis 1, by the way, a man leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife and the two becoming one flesh. This mystery is profound and it refers to Christ and the church. So, so marriage, as we know it and understand it today, gives us a glimpse of a one-day unity that we'll have with, with Jesus, our Lord, and our Savior, and our big brother, and God, our Father. But, but on the other hand, we have to realize that that one man, one woman foreshadowing represents Christ and his whole church, Christ and, and, and the bride. Uh, I'm gonna, this is going to sound a little bit odd. It doesn't represent Jesus and each Christian getting married, okay? Jesus is not polygamous. He's not going to wed every man and every woman. There'd be lots of things to talk about about that. But rather, what this is describing, and this gets lost a lot, so I want to dwell here for a minute. What, what, what we're talking about is all Christians, one family united in heart, soul, mind, and strength in this eternal marriage with, with our, our one Father. And so, is one-on-one, one-to-one marriage going to exist in heaven? What about kids and parents? The bottom line is that this is one of those mysteries that's a little bit confusing, and different parables mention different things, and different verses allude to different things. But the bottom line is, is, is it's, it's a mystery. And again, Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, helps us see what matters most here. Even, even if, before you read this, listen to this, even if, even if the institution or earthly or legal union ends... Alcorn mentions that Jesus never hints that deep relationships between married people would end. What about our children? There's every reason, he says, to believe we'll pick up in heaven with relationships from earth. We'll gain many new ones, but we'll continue to deepen the old ones. And what came to mind as I read that is this is a little bit of what Adam and Eve were like. They were perfectly united, naked and unashamed, right? One man, one woman. So far as we can tell, and people have played all sorts of allegory with this, but, but was there a specific wedding ceremony as we would think of it today? No, but they were designed for a relationship one with another, and that was before sin entered the world. And so it seems like we'll be perfectly united with God and each other, meant for each other, unashamed, within the context of relationships that will exist forever and ever. And I want to like have a prettier bow to tie it off with, but I don't know that there is one in the scriptures. Make sense? Ish? Does some of this sound like good news? The fact that there'll be loved ones that we'll remember that won't be this kind of like, you know, men in black snapshot memory erased kind of thing, and then we're all of a sudden on this different cloud planet? Again, I want us to, to pause and, and remember kind of the bigger questions here. How do some of these details stir your heart for God? How do some of these details bring us into hope for today? I got a few more buckets of questions, but I just want to put those back on your plate as well. All right, ready? What will heaven be like? Is it endless? Is it limited? Will we lose teeth or, junior high question, will we relieve ourselves in heaven? Unrelated to that question, just to be clear, what will heaven smell like? All fair questions. You'll notice I have zero verses to quote up here. This is the first slide that I've, I've been able to go to zero specific texts. Um, we'll start with teeth. Who thinks you'll lose teeth in heaven? 
Who thinks we won't lose teeth in heaven? All right. There's a lot of, a lot of that. Flat out, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we can know. Now, today, people grow older in wisdom and maturity. We saw Jesus here on earth grow older in wisdom and maturity. We don't know specifically if we will age in heaven or if we'll just arrive at a certain age or is there, is there a perfect age? Do you have a favorite age? Is that what age you get to be in heaven kind of thing? We, we don't know. We've already said we'll get to keep on learning and we've already said that our bodies won't decay. So, so those kind of things we can know, right? So I think we can say, as far as adult teeth go, we're not going to decay. But as far as kids and, and this kind of stuff, will kids grow? Will everyone be a specific age? Again, we don't know. I'm sorry. But we can say to the question about waste and relieving ourselves, because it got real quiet there for just a sec. <laughs> Again, pulling other themes that we've talked about and other themes of scriptures together, we are fully physical beings. And we've already seen that we will eat or drink at least some things. And so part of the natural process that happens when we eat or drink is to thus expel some of the things that we eat and drink. And so maybe food will just have no fat because it's perfected and won't have any toxins or this kind of stuff. Maybe. Maybe excrement won't smell. Maybe asparagus won't have that chemical in it. But it seems likely that just like our cardiovascular system was created by God and called good, and our muscular skeletal system was created by God and called good, it'll be perfect, but still very real. It seems also that our digestive system was created by God, called good, and it'll be perfect and also very real. We can't know for sure, I suppose, but since God made everything, called it good, human physiology is part of God's design, which also means our nervous system is real. And so all five senses will exist and be perfected. And if you've ever had that moment where you've lost sense, sense of smell, sense of taste, stopped up nose, COVID, whatever it is, smell that smell you don't want to smell, whatever, wish you couldn't smell, whatever version of hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting. It'll be so much better. 2020 vision, no hearing aids. What will heaven smell like? Smell like that perfect baking bread in the mornings, the dew that's fragrant on the flowers, all the best smells in the world, just to their greatest degree and received through your greatest degree of sense. All the things that will smell on this earth, presumably. All the good things, at least, that will smell on this earth because it's a new heaven and new earth and we'll be doing a lot of the same kind of stuff we're doing here. We get to smell all the better. Or if you're like me, bacon and chocolate. Like, that's it. Maybe that's all it'll smell like. There's two questions about this kind of intermediate state that we talked about. The first question, are babies in heaven before they were born? Is it possible to get another chance at salvation? Sorry, three questions. And then what's that temporary state like between death and eternity? So if you weren't here a few weeks ago, we mentioned that, that, that for those who die, and this is deeper than we have time to, to get back into tonight, but, but for those who die before Jesus returns and ushers in, in eternity, it seems that scriptures teach, our soul will exist in this kind of temporary reality, like a gestation period, 
called heaven or paradise on the good. Our souls will exist in this kind of temporary gestation period awaiting the, the kind of new birth is kind of how the, the, the imagery goes. And, and for souls who die having trusted Christ in their lives, it's called heaven or paradise, among other words. For souls that, that die having not trusted Jesus, it's called hell, Gehenna, a few other words. Um, and, and it's this temporary reality, which for the record, in early Christian history, led to the belief in purgatory. That there's this kind of place you could go and others could, you know, in, in the worst versions of the church, pay or manipulate your way out of, your, your, your loved one's soul out of purgatory into, into heaven. That's, 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 not, that's not what this is. It's not a neutral holding ground and you can pray or pay some dead soul into heaven. But, but the body, physical dimension, is buried waiting for resurrection, just like Jesus did, but for longer. And as Jesus tells the, the thief at the cross, today you'll be with me in, in paradise. The, the soul, the spiritual dimension is with Christ. So, so what is this temporary state like? This is maybe the, the most frustratingly vague aspect of, of eternity as it relates to the Bible or of death and the afterlife as it really, in the Bible. It's one of those verses. It's like when Paul and Barnabas split up. You're like, I really wish could have seen what really went on there. Or, you know, Paul tries to go to Asia and he was blocked. Like, what is it? Was it a force field? No, it's probably some natural, didn't have the funds or something like this. But, but I wish the Bible would give us more sometimes. This is one of those. All the Bible really says about this temporary state is that you're with Jesus. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And as much as I like to figure things out and as much as I wish like I could dissect it a little more, y'all, that is the most definite thing we know, but it's also the best possible news that we could hear. Where are we? What is it like there? Those questions fade in comparison to who are we with? Are we with others? I don't know, but even that would fade in comparison to the fact that you're with Jesus. If you choose not to follow Jesus, you're without Jesus. Because the decision to follow Jesus or not is made during this life on earth, and our eternal fate is, is sealed. Even though the, there's this gestation period, this waiting for full eternity, and e- even though it's likely some degree of consciousness there, again, think, think childbirth, think the, the degree of consciousness. And even though traditions and philosophies have recommended praying for their dead, there's, there's no biblical grounding for, for a second chance. God honors this life's choices. Again, like we've said, the things we do, the things we say, the things we believe, the things we think here matter for now, but they also matter for eternity. And God honors the choices we make in this life. And so again, that's, that's hard maybe, but there's good news in it as well. This life matters. As far as babies go, Jeremiah 1 tells us, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, says God, and before you were born, I consecrated you. Psalm 139 famously says before you were, you were formed, sorry, for you, talking to God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So we don't know the intricacies of kind of where babies' beings are in this kind of spiritual side of the gestation period, but, but every person was given perfect form and prepared for this life in a temporary state, a temporary womb, again, similar to being prepared for an eternal life in a, in a temporary state, temporary heaven, temporary hell. But again, what's most hopeful is the certainty that every baby is known by God. They're with Christ. They're known by Jesus. And here's our last bucket of questions, because you're not allowed to ask any more tonight. 
not going to do that. The question's about hell, which are natural to ask. Why is hell so bad? Why would people want to worship demons and go to hell? And then, will there be school in hell? (laughs) There you go. Already got the answer. Apparently, there will be school in hell. Favorite question of the night. There's probably not going to be literal school in hell. But school sometimes, no. We said we likely keep on learning in the new heavens and new earth. The same is likely true in, in hell and in the equal and opposite reaction as well. But, but what we see, the glimpses we get are, are completely different from each other. In heaven, in the new heavens and new earth, it seems like we'll grow in love for one another and, and the world around us and grow in knowledge of God and grow in, grow in, in closeness. And it's likely the opposite in hell. Likely the growth and learning is more toward the things of, of hate and individualism and pride and separation and sin and brokenness. And so it'd be like the worst possible things that you could think of in school. But if there's not school there, why is hell so bad? Literally and figuratively, the Bible's description of hell, and again, this is, hell is a, a broad term. There's the temporary state and also the, the, the lake of fire. New heavens and new earth, lake of fire, the eternal states that the Bible talks about. The Bible describes this as torment and fire and darkness and anguish and sulfur and suffering. And those things don't sound great. They're, they're, they're scary images, but also I want to warn us about this because they've led to a lot of fear-based evangelism in the past decades, and that is not a healthy, not a healthy motivation. A lot of a lot of evangelism has been literally trying to scare the hell out of people and bring them into Jesus based on fear, which is a healthy fear, but there's also a really manipulative fear. And so as bad as those images are, they seem to miss the the biggest point. And this is even the danger of why those evangelistic tactics are are so bad. It's like as bad as those are, fire, torment, this kind of stuff, yeah, I don't want that. The worst, worst, worst bad of hell is that it's the complete absence of God. So if Jesus tells the thief on the cross today, you'll be with me in paradise, and that's the greatest good news for both this temporary gestation and and being with God like Adam and Eve were in Eden for all of eternity, if that's the best good news, then the equal and opposite is also true, that the worst bad news is that for all the other things, it's eternity without God. We were created for relationship with God. During this life, God pursues his people and redeems his people and reconciles his people through Christ and wants to bring us home. We said before that the lake of fire was prepared for Satan and his angels. It wasn't even originally designed for humans. And yet... The reason that Satan and his angels were going to end there was because they rejected God. It, it's, it's, it's the eternal home for folks without God. And so if that's true, why would people want to go there? Why would they want to worship demons and go there was the, the way the question was asked. They, they likely don't want to. Instead, we just merely want what we want during this life. Is that fair? Like we all just want at our core, we want what we want in this life. And yeah, some people throughout history have overtly worshipped Satan and demons. 
but far more people throughout history have worshipped idols, false gods. And we're all tempted at times to serve and give our, our control of ourselves over to other people and things more than God. If that's true for those of us who follow Jesus, it's even more true for folks who don't. And so again, we've said before, the lake of fire was originally designed for Satan and his followers, those, those who chose not to worship and obey and follow the one true God. Sadly but truly, people who also choose their way and choose not to worship and obey the one true God also end up in this place that wasn't designed for them. Even death and Hades, the, the temporary state will be thrown into the lake of fire. The second death, Revelation 20 talks about. And again, God honors the choices we make in this life. And Romans 1, 28, while talking about this life, also foreshadows eternity. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind into unto what, what not ought be done. So eternity was not designed for people, and yet some people, this, this eternity was not designed for people, and yet some people choose, by their rejection of worshiping and obeying and following the one true God, they choose it. Not God's original design. So again, every moment of this life, God pursues and seeks reconciliation and tries to bring people home. And you all know one of the primary ways he does that during this life? It's through you and me. It's through his church. It's through sending his bride out with his message. Come home. Come back to the place that you were designed for. Come back to this eternity that you were designed for, this fully restored relationship with God, with each other, with the world around us. That's the hope of redemption. That's the message we have to the world that's choosing a place they weren't designed for. Those are some questions, and those are some responses. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm sure you have more. Again, Heaven by Randy Alcorn, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright, The Bible Project have been among some of the more helpful and solid resources that have shaped Matt and my teaching of this past month or so. So one of the things that, that we get to do, the followers of Jesus who have both said, no, delay a little bit, God, and also come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, have done to, to celebrate this and to look back and to look forward is to take communion. And, and we say a lot that, that is in communion that we declare the coming of the Lord Jesus, that, that we reflect on and remember his death, but we also declare his coming return. And, and so I want to close with communion. Before you take the, the, the cracker and dip it in the juice or the wine, what we're remembering here is, is, is Jesus's body broken for you that at his cross, Jesus took God's punishment and he absorbed God's justice and he gave us God's grace. And so again, this is part of his history long pursuit of his people inviting us back home. And the key to going home is our trust and our faith and our following of Jesus. But we were so far from him that it took his blood shed for you and as Jesus died, he, he took the first step into being the first human, again, God-human, but the first human, he was fully man, to experience the eternal life that God intended for his people. And this is why we say that at communion, we remember Jesus' death, but at his resurrection, Jesus conquered death. And he took the second step into the eternal life that God intended for his people, and he, he kind of unlocked that new life that starts now. We get to live 
the resurrection life of Jesus by the resurrection power of Jesus now. This is why we get to pray and enact your kingdom come, your will be done. It's why we get to go out with this message. Because we don't have the old and dying spirit. We've been given a new spirit, a spirit of life, a spirit of resurrection, a true and better life. And so that's why we say that communion both declares Jesus' death until he comes. It's this expectation and yearning, and it's also this promise of hope and eternity that gives us hope today. So if you will, grab juice or cracker. This is for anyone who follows Jesus. Grab a cracker and dip it into the juice or the wine. And here's what we're going to say. We're going to say together, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And let's say this with a celebration, almost like a toast to our king. We talked a lot about kingdom tonight and how it's a benevolent monarchy. So I'm giving everybody hopefully a chance. We're just going to say together, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again and just raise it like a glass. Okay? So we'll say it. Ready? Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Take and eat. Amen, church. Father, thank you that there's good news, even in the details and even in the minutia and even in the parts that are mysterious and unknown. Thank you that you're not a God that we can figure out all of. Thank you that you're not a God who lets us be all-knowing or who lets us put you in our box as much as sometimes we want to. Father, I pray that these five, six, whatever weeks that we've talked about this wouldn't just be a moment in spring into summer 2023. And then we end in a few short months just as hopeless, just as yearning, just as longing without hope as the world around us. But God, I pray this would be a good callback, a good reminder for these things that we know to be true and that our hope would be, would be not without, without emptiness, that our hope would not be without something bigger in front of us. I pray that you would, you would help us to remember these things, help us by your power to seek your kingdom on earth. Be glorified whether we eat or drink as glimpses of this life showing the next. Amen.